Welcome to Yale Cancer Center Answers with your hosts, Drs. Anish Chagpar, Susan Higgins, and Stephen Gore. Dr. Chagpar is Associate Professor of Surgical Oncology and Director of the Breast Center at Smilo Cancer Hospital. Dr. Higgins is Professor of Therapeutic Radiology and of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Sciences. And Dr. Gore is Director of Hematological Malignancies at Smilo and an expert on myelodysplastic syndromes. Yale Cancer Center Answers features weekly conversations about the research, diagnosis, and treatment of cancer. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you can submit questions and comments to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. Tonight, you'll hear a conversation with Dr. Veronica Chang about treating brain tumors with gamma knife technology. Dr. Chang is Associate Professor of Neurosurgery and of Therapeutic Radiology at Yale School of Medicine. Here's Dr. Susan Higgins. We're uh, currently in the, the age of multidisciplinary therapy, and our treatment of cancers is always now a team approach. And I was wondering if you could tell our listeners how you, as the neurosurgeon doing gamma knife therapy for brain tumors, sort of fits into this team. So... Uh... So there has been a lot of evolution uh, in the multidisciplinary approach uh, probably over the past decade or so. So neurosurgeons uh, prior to this decade uh, actually really didn't treat uh, um, or predominantly treated uh, what we call primary brain tumors. Um, These are uh, tumors that arise from the brain itself. Um, They can be benign or malignant. Um, And for most of these uh, cancers, uh, the treatment uh, of these uh, of these problems is uh, is surgical. Um, The more of the tumor that can be removed, uh, the better the outcome. And for most of these uh, tumors, we uh, uh, back a decade ago, uh, we knew that while radiation played some role in controlling the progression of these tumors. uh, chemotherapy uh, was was typically not a great option for many of these diseases. What has changed over the past decade is the neurosurgeon's involvement in what we call metastatic cancer. So this is cancer that is spread from outside the brain, so somewhere else in the body, such as lung cancer, breast cancer, melanoma, kidney cancer, and, and more recently the uh, um, the uh, ovarian and, and uterine cancers. Um, and these cancers spread uh, can spread to the brain just as they can spread elsewhere in the body. And so uh, about a decade ago, neurosurgeons uh, actually had very little to do with these cancers because by the time the cancer spread to the brain, the outlook for the patient was not good and their survival was uh, not expected to be long. And so there was really no role for aggressive neurosurgical intervention. What really changed this was the gamma knife. And so the gamma knife is a focused radiation tool that requires a neurosurgeon to aim the radiation and then for a radiation oncologist to deliver the radiation. And the combination of having two specialists together, working together, is uh, really where the multidisciplinary concept for these tumors uh, uh, started to arise. Um, and so, uh, and so today, I participate not only in the surgical portion of removing uh, tumors when it's appropriate, but also delivering the gamma knife uh, radiation treatment. So, uh, just to step back for a second, part of the big picture with our treatment of cancer overall is that within the 
the, the body, we're able to control now with radiation and chemotherapy and surgery the disease, what we call extracranial disease, much better. So um, the importance of gamma knife has, and, and treating the disease in the brain has sort of come out of the advances we've made with treating disease in other parts of the body. And now we know that the brain, even if you've cleaned up everything elsewhere, the brain is sort of a sanctuary site. Um, and that means that the chemotherapy agents can't get there. And that's sort of where your, your expertise comes in. And we're finding that for a patient's quality of life especially, um, these tumors of the brain are often a big part of what happens in their disease process, and we know that the symptoms are very difficult to control. Um, maybe we could just then go on to talk about some of the technology. Uh, I really uh, always found Gamma Knife uh, fascinating. I love the technology. I was on your team for a while, and it was always so gratifying because it's actually relatively patient-friendly technology, I think, because people are a little surprised at the end. Um, it's a non-invasive overall technology, and maybe you could just talk about the process. What happens when a patient comes to you uh, and, and needs gamma knife therapy? So, uh, so Sue, that's uh, that's right. It's it's funny because the gamma knife as a name is a little bit scary, and many people have uh, or patients have told me that over the years. Um, but there's really actually no knife involved, and it's really not a surgical procedure. Um, the uh, the thing that's so, as you said, the thing that's nice about gamma knife is that it is a single day procedure. Um, it does require uh, quite a few hours of investment um, in uh, in treatment, but um, at the end of the day, we always promise that people get to go home, and uh, and they are no different when they leave than uh, than when they walk in in the morning. So, the process starts with. Um, having uh, something called a head frame put on. It's uh, basically an XYZ coordinate box that uh, that has to be attached around the head so that we can localize in 3D space exactly where the tumors are in the head. This is the scariest part of the day. Uh, it requires um, uh, installation of some local anesthetic into the scalp, and then the, uh, the frame itself has to be attached firmly to the skull. Um, but this takes about five or ten minutes in the morning, and uh, really uh, everybody has, uh, usually does this very well. It is a little bit uncomfortable, but it passes quickly, and uh, typically uh, a little bit of sedation is administered in the morning uh, to help patients through this part. But just to give some perspective on that, once the head frame is on, our patients are basically sitting there having, you know, they can have fluids, we're yes. sitting there drinking a cup of coffee through a straw. Um, so once those few minutes pass, putting on the head frame, uh, they're generally very comfortable, right? Right. Yes. Uh, these are the same uh, similar head frames to when people break their necks and have to wear these uh, devices around their head for months on end. So once the uh, the uh, frame is placed. Um, yes, it's actually probably uh, right. I mean, we, I think most of us say that it's actually more comfortable than the mask that's, that's right, made. Right. For because other it's forms. open. I think when people hear about the frame, they're not aware that these basically they're a set of bars, but they can see they can move around. Um, it's just so that they can be immobilized in the actual gamma knife unit when we get to treating. And that's the, the beauty of gamma knife that it can localize the tumor so well. Right, right. So, uh, so once the frame's put on, uh, then the patient has an MRI in the frame, and this allows us in 3D space to exactly localize where the tumors are. 
that information is then uh, transferred into a planning system um, that's uh, that's been uh, well tested and well proven over many decades now, and uh, and that allows us to pinpoint radiation exactly to where it needs to be delivered. As you said before, the patient is then put in the treatment machine and attached by the frame to the treatment machine so they can't at all move their head uh, in the machine. And the machine knows where this, the uh, tumors are in 3D space. And all of the radiation can then be delivered all at the one sitting uh, very, very safely and incredibly precisely. Um, and then once that's done, uh, then they uh, come out of the machine, the frame gets removed, um, some small dressings are placed over the, uh, over the pin sites. Um, and, the patient, and most patients uh, feel well enough to go home uh, right away. And I think um, part of the technology that I always found fascinating is, number one, um, the imaging, which is a big part of this. Patients go for an MRI, but these are not your average MRIs. These are MRIs with very, very um, high resolution and the treatment can really be directed to within a millimeter, correct? Yeah, so the accuracy is in fact sub-millimeter. Um, you know, we uh, we make adjustments to the plan in the order of tenths of millimeters. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the other part of it, as you uh, alluded to, is that the imaging is done on the day of the treatment. So if anything's changed between the time of consultation and the day of treatment, um, you know, we are, uh, the gamma knife uh, treatment accommodates for this. Um, and so what we see on the scans upstairs uh, when we do them uh, is, is what we treat to. And if there are additional lesions seen, um, also they can be treated at the same sitting. So as we were saying, the patient comes in, it's, it's a one-day procedure, actually, morning till maybe the afternoon, right. and they go home. Do they have after-effects when they get home? So the only after-effects that most people uh, talk about are they may have a, a very slight headache from having the frame attached. Um, and then uh, we do give um, some medicines, obviously, during the day, a little sedation at the beginning of the day that could still be floating around um, at the end of the day. So people do complain that they're a little bit tired. Um, but we have a lot of patients who go back to work the day after this procedure. Um, so uh, we, we kind of equate it to going to the dentist Right. Um, actually, it, I think it's actually more comfortable than many de- dental <laughs> visits that at least I've been through. Yeah, that might be true. Um, but I, I think that what's always been fascinating to me is that, you know, being able to sort of clean up the small uh, metastatic lesions, which some of them are really pinpoint small lesions and spare a lot of the normal brain, can give people... Um, really kind of a big bang for their buck in the sense that we just talked about quality of life. Um, and I think what many people aren't aware of is that even small metastases can cause a lot of neurologic problems that really interfere with, with people's function. The other advantage here is you're, you're if very effectively killing the tumor cells while sparing the normal brain tissue, which we know is a really important part of what you're doing. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that because we as radiation oncologists have um, in the past uh, treated brain metastases in many cases with whole brain radiation, but the problem is that's a through and through process. All the tumors and the normal tissue get treated to the same dose. Um, There's a a real, really big difference when you're treating with gamma knife, and maybe you could talk about that in terms of the advantages of gamma knife. So, yeah, absolutely. So, uh Gamma knife um, 
particularly for brain metastases, has evolved also, um, you know, to address these issues. So it used to be uh, even probably less than a few years ago that uh, if you had up to four uh, small lesions in your head, um, you could be treated with gamma knife. Um, but if you had five or more, in fact, the recommendations were that you got whole brain radiation therapy. And as you and I both know, part of the problem with that is that if you've got five tiny little spots and a lot of uh, normal brain, that uh, that radiating all of that normal brain can ultimately uh, if the patient survives, you know, beyond a year or so can result in uh, some cognitive side effects that are variable from person to person, but for some people can be quite debilitating. Um, and so particularly if we can find these spots when they're small, the amount or the volume of, uh, of tumor and normal brain that we're treating um, can be very small, and therefore the neurological consequences associated with that administration of radiation is, is inconsequential. Um, I think we see gamma knife very much as a prophylactic tool, uh, so part of getting gamma knife is, uh, is a phenomenon that we call surveillance, where uh, uh, patients should undergo uh, uh, MRIs or CT scans on a regular basis so that we can find these tumors when they're small, long before they are likely to cause symptoms, and then we can deliver a minimum amount of radiation um, to get them under control. The gamma knife, in addition, uh, allows us to deliver a lot more radiation um, at the single time. Um, and so uh, even for larger tumors, tends to be a lot more effective. Yes, so I'd like to get to that in our second half, um, but we're going to have to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about CNS tumors with Dr. Veronica Chang. Breast cancer is the most common cancer in women. In Connecticut alone, approximately 3,000 women will be diagnosed with breast cancer this year and nearly 200,000 nationwide. But thanks to earlier detection, non-invasive treatments, and novel therapies, there are more options for patients to fight breast cancer than ever before. Women should schedule a baseline mammogram beginning at age 40 or earlier if they have risk factors associated with breast cancer. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers such as Yale Cancer Center and its Milo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven to make innovative new treatments available to patients. Digital breast tomosynthesis or 3D mammography is transforming breast screening by significantly reducing unnecessary procedures while picking up more cancers and eliminating some of the fear and anxiety many women experience. This has been a Medical Minute brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Center Answers. Uh, this is Dr. Susan Higgins. I'm talking today with my guest, Dr. Veronica Chang, about CNS tumors and treatment using Gamma Knife. Um, so we just, during the first half, uh, talked about the sort of the technical part of, of Gamma Knife and how effective it is. Um, I think that one of the things that I, as a clinician, have really been impressed with is that we're going through sort of a revolution in treating two particular types of cancers that spread to the brain, namely melanomas and, and lung cancers, and using Gamma Knife with immunotherapies in ways that 
we haven't in the past, and we're seeing just tremendous progress with that. And I was hoping that we could discuss that during the second half. Sure. Yeah, this is a really exciting area, actually, um, and uh, and this is it speaks uh, a lot to the evolution of the multidisciplinary team that uh, we've developed here at Yale for brain metastases specifically. Um, and uh, and so that effort has uh, has been led by myself along with uh, Dr. Harriet Kluger, who's our melanoma specialist, and, and Dr. Sarah Goldberg, who's been our lung specialist, uh, who's worked with us um, as long as well as Dr. Scott Gettinger. Um, so the uh, so uh, what we know about uh, the effect of gamma knife on tumors is that. Uh, it while it does cause uh, tumors, little tumors to disappear. Um, bigger tumors, um, if if they're found when they're larger, don't tend to disappear altogether. And so there is unfortunately the possibility that down the line, either we haven't given enough radiation and the tumors regrow, or we've given too much radiation and we run into problems from the radiation itself. So one of the most exciting things that's going on now uh, that started in melanoma and is now translating into lung cancer is that immunotherapies are becoming the latest treatment. And so immunotherapies are drugs that are uh, that rev up the immune system and teach the body how to go after uh, tumors in the body wherever they are. And so one of the uh, what we believe now is that immunotherapies, while the drug itself may not necessarily get into the brain, um, the effector cells, so the T cells in the body, can actually get in um, just as they would do to clean up an infection. For example, they could also get into the uh, into the brain and clean up uh, cancer. And so the uh, the most interesting uh, developments uh, that we've seen are are in fact perhaps a cumulative or additive effect of giving immunotherapy along with gamma knife um, to get a better result uh, with uh, treating uh, brain brain metastases. And as we discussed before, this whole idea of the brain being a sanctuary site, this has really been a long-term challenge for us. And I think that what's great is that we're finally seeing this new way to approach something that has always been uh, really one of our sort of last frontiers, um, treating right. and controlling the brain metastases from uh, lung cancers and melanomas and the like. Uh, what we refer to in radiation therapy as radio-resistant types of, of tumors. Right. And and it's interesting uh, because, you know, part of the advantage of gamma knife over whole brain radiation therapy initially was that because we were able to boost the dose of radiation delivered to the tumor with gamma knife, we we thought that we had better control of radio-resistant tumors compared with whole brain radiation therapy. But this boosts it to, uh, you know, a whole new level. Now, when we, we talk about the, the team approach, uh, one of the things that I think people in general aren't aware of is that we now have uh, conferences where our special teams meet. Um, and so we now have even a multidisciplinary tumor board for brain metastases, not just brain tumors or CNS tumors. Um, and I think that's fascinating because this is really uh, where we're making, I think, a lot of inroads where we can take a group and maybe you can just discuss what happens at your tumor board because, again, this is the basis of how we're able to integrate all these therapies. The discussions start at the tumor board. So maybe you could tell us what happens at the CNS metastases slash gamma knife tumor board. 
Yeah, and so uh, that's exactly right, Sue. So um, part of the problem is that what you don't want uh, for your patient is uh, is treatment based on who they get to first. Um, what we want is evidence-based practice based on what you think that you can achieve with each tool and what the side effects are so that we can balance what uh, might be best first treatment followed by what might be best second line treatment. And so what happens at the tumor board is that uh, we have representation from medical oncology, neurosurgery, uh, radiation oncology, and then we have pathology and radiology. And so all of the patient's information is reviewed um, when it comes time to make decisions about what the next step of care is. and, uh, and if there is good standard practice that's uh, our recommendations for the next step, then uh, those are discussed and recommended. Um, but if there are no standard recommendations, in other words, we're all scratching our heads a little bit about what to do next. Um, it is also uh, the place where uh, options for discussion for clinical trial um, actually occur. And so um, out of our tumor board has come uh, the pembrolizumab uh, trial f- uh, as first-line treatment for untreated brain metastases. And so um, led by uh, Dr. Kluger, in fact, um, what we have done is we've offered patients uh, pembrolizumab as uh, as treatment. And if they respond to drug only, then this is the first time we've ever seen a drug that works both in the body and the brain. And if it does not work, uh, then we have obviously been able to treat those patients very effectively with Gamma Knife because we know that tool works for melanoma very well. And so that's an example of how our patterns of practice have changed a little bit. Um, it may not mean that pembrolizumab works for everybody, but for those people who, uh, for whom it works, then they've not had to come for gamma knife until perhaps later in their course. Um, and so uh, that means, you know, that there's potentially less complica- complications. Um, and it's uh, and it's great uh, that everybody's on the same page with right. The plan. And I, I think this whole idea of uh, all the clinicians in the room at the same time. I don't think people realize you may have you know, five or six physicians with 100 years of clinical practice, cumulative clinical practice under their belt, um, as well as, in many cases, some of the people who who work with us, the APRNs, the PAs, but our diagnostic imaging people are there. We're all talking about clinical trials and, you know, really uh, looking out for our patients and making sure that everything that could possibly help them, every tool that we have in our toolbox is going to be used. And as you as you noted, using it in the appropriate sequence and laying out a game plan up front. I know when we treat gynecologic cancers, we often have this saying, we don't want to burn a bridge. We want to think up front about how we're going to use all our tools and make them sequentially work in the best way possible for the best outcomes. And I I think that's a real uh, sort of blessing of being at an academic medical center for us and for the patients um, practicing evidence-based medicine, offering them clinical trials. We're really trying to all work together as a team to get the, the best possible outcomes. And this is really fascinating that you're sometimes you're saying now treating with drug alone, immunotherapy alone, and then doing the surveillance. Is that correct? Right. And so we've uh, we've started this. Um, the this concept actually uh, 
uh, as you as you alluded to, um, comes from the fact that you know these are the first drugs that we think cross the blood brain barrier into the brain. Um, and so, but if you look at examples in the body, you know there are certainly times when we would start with chemotherapy, and then uh, you know, and then boost that with radiation down the line. And so, you know, where looking at the the possibility of this um you know as uh as we're getting you know back to your first point which is that people are getting longer and longer lifespans you know following the initial diagnosis of their cancer right and uh we we have a a long-term view then of the patient and we're thinking maybe up front we're going to use a drug first um then we're going to keep our other, as I say to patients, we have other tools in our toolbox, but we keep them in our back pocket until we need them because, again, we're always trying to find this balance between uh, basically getting control of the tumor cells but not damaging uh, too right. much in the way of normal normal brain cells or normal tissue. Right. So it's a really fine balancing act. And, again, I think the upfront discussion that we have at the tumor board um, gives us probably the best chance of getting that long-term outcome that's a good balance between those two things. Right, it does. And and like you said, it means that everybody on the team knows what we're doing at any particular time also. So there's uh, it lessens the chance of a miscommunication. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the uh, particularly for us, um, looking at the pathology and the radiology, um, you know, because in some ways they never get to see our patients. And so it's uh, their interpretation of the information is also... Uh, very dependent upon clinical input. And so having everybody in the same room together means that there's just no misinterpretation. Right, because although we have the EMR and everybody can share the information there, I've, there's nothing really that replaces the face-to-face with the diagnostic radiologists who play such a big role. I mean, I've been at tumor boards where we're, we're giving them information that basically they'll say, oh, okay, now that we know that, we're thinking a little differently about what we see on this on the scan and one of those things that comes up all the time is um when we look at a tumor after treatment we're looking at has it responded and is it dying or is this a side effect called necrosis and that's always a a big dilemma for us how to approach that and i know there are some new things that are coming out uh, to help us with that maybe you can just uh, give us a brief uh, overview of that topic all right. Yes. So actually, it's it's a pretty big topic, but I'll try and make it fast. The um, so what we've learned over the years is that uh, radiation, you know, like sunburn, kind of uh, you know carries it, its own set of problems uh, if you live long enough. Um, the biggest problem, however, has been exactly what you said, which is differentiating regrowing tumor from the side effect, uh, otherwise known as radiation necrosis. Um, and prior to this, uh, there were no great options for either treating regrowing tumor or radiation necrosis. But more recently, there have been some new drugs, something called Avastin, or some new procedures, something called laser thermocoagulation, that have been uh, highly successful at uh, treating radiation necrosis. And so now for the first time, it's actually really important for, for us to try and work out which of these it is, because if you have radiation necrosis, there are actually some really good options available now for treating this. And so uh, the uh, we are less worried about the side effects of radiation and uh, and and really more concentrating on our first bang for our buck treatment for tumor, um, you know, and this is kind of where the multidisciplinary group comes in. Yes, and I remember that uh, 
the days where that was really the wall that you hit. We had the ability to retreat and we had the ability to use radiation um, in the in the gamma knife uh, within the scenario of using gamma knife over and over. But eventually, we had a tumor that was either too big or had been treated too many times. We'd have necrosis, and that's really where sort of the the story stopped. So this is a really a new frontier, getting past the tumor regrowth or and or necrosis, um, which used to be just a stopping point. We were then out of options. Right. That's exactly right. And, you know, I think uh, we're going to run into this more and more as people live longer and longer. But the ability to delay the use of some of these tools also allows us not to run into these complications as early. Dr. Veronica Chang is Associate Professor of Neurosurgery and of Therapeutic Radiology at Yale School of Medicine. We invite you to share your questions and comments. You can send them to canceranswers at yale.edu or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. And as an additional resource, archived programs are available in both audio and written form at YaleCancerCenter.org. We'd like to thank the Yale Cancer Center for providing production support for this program, and we'd also like to thank Renee Gaudette, Emily Fenton, and the staff of the Yale Broadcast and Media Center. I'm Bruce Barber, hoping you'll join us again next Sunday evening at 6 for another edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.